Welcome to Beyond Bite Wings, the business side of dentistry, brought to you by Edwards & Associates PC. Join us as we discuss how to build your dental practice, optimize your income, and plan for your future. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Edwards & Associates PC is not rendering legal, accounting, or professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information that is shared. At Edwards & Associates PC, our business is the business of dentistry. For help or more information, visit our website at enassociates.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Bite Wings. In today's episode, we will be giving our listeners a few tax updates that just came out. And within the studio to talk more about this subject matter, we have Robert. Good afternoon. Lynn. Hello. And yes, Lynn's back. Um, for all our uh, regular listeners, you may recognize her voice. It's been a while. I know, I right? you guys. Well, we missed you. Sure, sure. You have to say that. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 we did. And especially for, for, for today's this, topic. Yeah, especially for this. <laughs> yeah. I get that. Because when I come in and say, y'all are going to back me up, right? And you're like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But no, these episodes are good because it, it forces me to stop the day-to-day -day work and look into these things that, you know, aren't really going to come into actual play until months, years down the line when, when it affects someone. So it's good to stop and actually get a handle on what the law changes are so we can be prepared. But usually day-to-day, -day, you know, tasks get in the way of that. So this forces you to look into it and understand <laughs> it more. So this is a pretty new tax Very law. New. When yes. was this uh, signed into law? August. Okay. August 16th. So okay. not very long ago as of today. Yeah. Certainly not long enough for it to be uh, just on the tip of everybody's tongue, what, what all provisions it has. So. Well, and like you said, I think most of the provisions aren't effective until later. Well, right. I mean, some of them are effective now. Some of them are uh, going to effect for 23 and they extend to 25 or 32 or various different things. But uh, just because they're in effect doesn't mean everybody's going to go out and utilize the things that are in effect today. So some of the questions people haven't asked us yet. Uh, but the, the main one people are asking is not in this law, which is, I don't even know if I gave the name, the Inflation Reduction Act. We'll talk about that soon. <laughs> but the one everybody's asking about is student loan forgiveness, oh, yes. which we'll talk about at the end. And that's not part of? That is not part of this. Okay. That was, yeah. that's, that's a separate thing. I think just an executive order. So not part of a, of a legislation. Okay. But I'm sure our listeners would be equally interested. Well, that's our in teaser. So now, yeah, now they have to listen to the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one provision in particular here that I think a lot of our listeners would want to know about, which is the expansion of the IRS enforcement. Yeah, that's been the big media focus. And, and frankly, rightly so, because this is the one that's really going to affect people because... Well, how's it going to affect people? That's the, that's yeah, the question. That's, that's the, and that's the million-dollar question, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. But there is so much contradictory information. Even IRS is contradicting Congress and contradicting themselves. And so it's kind of interesting. But So that's nothing new. Yes, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. So, yeah, they received, they being the IRS, received an extra $80 billion Goodness. over 10 years to go primarily toward audit expansion, so examination of individual tax returns. 
And they say only 47, only 47 billion will mm-hmm. be, you know, used for audits against Americans. But I mean, 47 billion, that's a lot of money. And they're <laughs> saying they're going to hire 85,000. I think everybody's heard this number, 85, 87,000, something like that, new agents to do this audit work. But supposedly that's not all new. There's a lot that are retiring and some of those are going to be replacements. So it's really only about 50,000, maybe 57,000. <laughs> well, out of those, how many are going to be really hired to audit taxpayers? Well, I think the the majority of them actually are being hired to audit taxpayers. Uh, okay. That's the focus. And so this is where most of the revenue for this Inflation Reduction Act is coming from. So most of the revenue is coming from this piece of the legislation, which is coming from auditing individuals. And the controversy is, are we talking high-income individuals or or middle-class or lower-income individuals? And that's where the controversy is, because Congress and, and the committees that represent Congress are saying that it'll come from people, it, that it will have to come from people making less than $200,000 a year. I I should rephrase that. Congress is not saying this. One of the committees that evaluates how much money they'll raise is projecting that the only way they're going to meet these revenue numbers is if they focus on people making under under $200,000 a year. I'm not mistaken. No, I was just going to ask you, under? Under $200,000 a year. And the IRS, on the other hand, is saying, oh, no, they're not going to even come after people that are making less than $400,000. So you've got this contradiction. Well, I think that's what Congress said. We're going after the high income taxpayers. Of course, of course. But the IRS is saying, and the logic supports the IRS position, is that all of these vast new auditors aren't going to have the proficiency to go after these high income, sophisticated tax returns. They're going to be going after the low hanging fruit. And Mm. You know, the owner of Coca-Cola is not low-hanging fruit. That right. takes some real knowledge of tax law and, and things like that to, to actually find money there. They will spend more auditing that person than they will make. So they're not going to do that. They're going to be going after people that don't have the resources to hire a- attorneys and accountants to fight their battles. And where they are starting their targeting is with the ERC credit. Abuses. You know, I read an article on that. I think just this morning, where they're they're focusing a lot of existing agents they have now all over to those programs, the ERC. Right. Yeah, I love it. Percentage of reallocation on that? Don't recall. It was ninety percent. Okay, they are refocusing ninety percent of their agents over to these fraudulent ERC credits and. Sadly, they're going to be targeting the people receiving the credits, not the credit companies who are really the ones that are being abusive because the individuals don't know and don't understand. They're buying, yeah. the, you know, they're buying into this, everybody qualifies and we can get you all this money It's, it's a sales pitch. It's a total sales pitch. And they're pitch. buying into it. That's I know. Right. Absolutely. That's right. And, yeah. But they're not the ones that are going to be paying. It's the individuals that are going to be paying. And so the people being targeted in that case are small business owners. So your entrepreneurs that have S-corps making under $400,000 a year, those are the ones that are going to be targeted. So it's kind of unfortunate, but that's where they expect to raise the majority of their revenue. Interesting, mm-hmm. but necessary. But I wish they would focus on the companies that provided these uh, right. programs. Right, and and they're going to be gone. They're going to be yeah. closed their doors and gone by the time these are audited. I mean, there's three years to audit these. Uh, the credit will be over by then. Well, I think it's the same companies that have just kind of gone from the one 
tax shelter to the next to the, the next. The R&D credits, yeah. too. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, not everybody's going to get hit with an audit just because you take the ERC credit. But I think you're right now your chances are substantially higher if you're just taking the 28000 per employee across the board that these ERC companies are selling, then you probably need to be concerned. And what do you think the, the, because the question I get all the time is, what are my chances of being audited? You have a percentage that you would guess is going to be? That's tough because prior to this expansion, the percentage was less than a half a percent because there are just no audits happening for years and years now. I mean, I haven't seen an audit up until this year. Yeah, I was going to say we had one, we right? We had one in yeah. progress this year, which is a total, total different thing. It's a different kind of audit. It's not an examination. It's an information audit. Um, but before that, I haven't seen one in 15 years. Wow. Uh, our tax manager, same thing. So, yeah, it's going way up. What does that mean? 2%? Might be <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what their capacity will be because it's just something that we haven't seen in so long. You think it could be as high as? 10%? I think in key... For those that actually took targets, the credit? Yeah, I think that could be. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think if you've got these target areas, the research and development credit, yep. uh, that's another target, the ERC credit, I think if you've got those, then you may have a problem. And the other side of that ERC credit, which I don't know if these companies are educating or how well they're educating, but you have to go back and amend your your tax return. So the credit gives you a check from the IRS. That's where the benefit is. But then you have to turn around and amend that tax return to basically take income for that credit. And I don't know if they're doing that. So that's the other side of it. So they're looking at potentially a double hit if they're not doing that piece. The ones I've seen are amending the 941s, but not the 1120s. Right. Yeah. Right. And it, it requires. That's kind of that's kind of a halfway project. Well, and yeah. it's, that's probably going to be frowned upon more because that's double negative in the wrong that's way. Like abusive. Basically, that's tax fraud because you're just taking the benefit from the IRS and you're not following the rules all the way through. Right. Because there is an offset to that credit, which is the tax hit on it that people aren't accounting for. You know, but people don't understand that. And these companies that are selling these credits certainly I doubt if they explain it. Well, I doubt it because it's not in their best interest yeah. because they're taking, I've seen anywhere from 15 to 25 percent. Oh, I've seen Have a third. Seen higher? Okay. Yeah. So, so up to that much, they're taking in commission from the credit and then you're going to owe tax on the credit as well, which in our demographic is generally 30 yep. percent. So you're looking at 50 percent of it gone yeah. off the off the top. But at least. Yeah. But you yeah. don't see that when they when they make that pitch. Yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah. So the the Inflation Reduction Act, all of the studies from generally from apolitical groups, nonpartisan groups, even the congressional tax office that uh, evaluates these things, they all say that there's no inflation reduction in this act. That was marketing, basically. That was my political. there's no inflation reduction in this there's credits mostly in this thing there are some tax revenue increases like the audit and there's some extra taxes on big corporations but a large part of what's on here are tax credits which puts incentivizes spending which puts more money in the economy which raises inflation right exactly it's counterintuitive to think that this would even 
lower inflation. Now, what it is expected to do is lower the deficit. So that's the beneficial part. And that it seems to be pretty unanimously agreed upon. What side you're on will qualify how much of a deficit <laughs> decrease that you think there's going to be. The Democrats, of course, think this is just going to pr- practically wipe it out. And the Republicans are saying it's not that much. So I don't know, but it will go down. The inflation it is not going to affect inflation at all. But it basically had a few provisions. There were some pieces that are going to affect big corporations. And by big, I mean billion-dollar corporations, publicly traded corporations. And then there's some pieces that are going to affect individuals. And then there's this expanded tax audit, IRS expansion woven through it. But I, I don't think the the big business piece really affects many of our No, I doubt it, any of our clients. But how about some of the provisions for that have been in the tax law before, but they're these changes like for the electric vehicle purchases. Right. So that's the one that I think our clients are going to be most interested in. And probably Ash will have a lot to say. This our our resident <laughs> car guy. He's probably thrilled about these. Uh, and there's some energy credits too, which which I think they'll be interested in. So we'll talk about those. But the vehicle credits. So they've put a credit, and some of these existed before, but I, I think they were maybe expiring or they've been expanded. So a new electric vehicle, the credit it's going to be up to seventy five hundred dollars. But there's also now one on buying a used electric vehicle. So there's a a credit of up to $4,000 on a used electric vehicle. But there are income limits. There are income limits. Okay. So some of our demographic are going to be incomed out of this. I see. Mm -hmm. What about the $7,500 credit? Uh, Some companies had already exceeded the number of cars sold and no longer qualified for the credit. Do they now qualify for the credit again? Um, well, they will probably qualify for the used one, but not the new ones anymore. No, they're actually Uh, back on the list. Really? The Tesla ones are back? Tesla and GM. But but the short answer was yes, but the long answer is probably not. Oh. Okay. So Tesla and GM, I I think GM had, I didn't realize that, but Tesla definitely had reached their quota. I knew they were. So none of their additional car sales were qualifying for the energy credit. But they're allowed to go back on the list in 2023. But the caveat is that the manufacturing of the car has to be in the U.S. to qualify for these credits. And so that's probably going to knock them out until, and a lot of them, honestly, it's going to knock a lot of the manufacturers out until they start bringing their manufacturing back in the States. So, yes, there's a credit on the table, but whether it will really apply to them it's going to have to be researched. And how are we going to figure that out? But in either case, not 22, 23. That's correct. Ah, okay. That's wow. correct. Okay. So what about the credit for used vehicles? Is that also for 23, not 22? Well, no, the credits, I think, are in place now. Now, I would have to double check that. I think the credits are in place now, but GM and Tesla don't get back on the list until 23. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So if a client, if a, a person, a taxpayer is converting a vehicle from gasoline-powered to battery-powered, does he qualify for the credit? A vehicle that he already owns? No, that he bought to convert. Oh, that's the big question. I've actually read a few forums where people were talking about that because a lot of people are getting into this trend where they'll just change a gas-powered car that literally take out the engine and put in an electric engine turn it but my question is at that point is it still carrying the same vin number like is it still registered as the car it was originally purchased as or probably so in that case they're 
I mean, my assumption would be it's not a new vehicle. Huh. It's a customization to an existing vehicle. Right. Would that qualify as a used vehicle? I don't know. I don't know. My, my guess is no. But the goal, the objective was to improve energy, reduce greenhouse, that kind of thing. So that it may be allowed. Because uh, and to produce jobs. Yeah. Because if the manufacturing has to happen within right. the country, basically I'm guessing they're going for, you know, hiring more people yeah. in this industry. Yeah. If you're doing it yourself, I don't know how much of that would happen. Well, that would be the other problem is you would have to, if it qualified, which I don't know if it does, you would have to prove all those parts were manufactured in the U.S. for it to qualify for sure. Right, right, right. So, I don't know. Yeah. And the so, other question I was thinking of was the used one. It's like, if the same car was bought and sold four times in one year, so you're saying that it will be possible for all four people that are buying the same car so in that same year. That's what it looks like. Oh, and wow. Of course, every one of our clients are going, okay, I'm going to buy it and then I'm going to sell it to my wife and then I'm going to sell it to my daughter. And then, no, it probably is one. Probably wouldn't work. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. But let's talk about the income limits. Because it's not just, hey, you get a credit. So first of all, it has to be manufactured in the U.S. So there's problem number one. And then if it's a new car, if you're married, you have to be making less than 300000 which is a fair to, So is it phased out or is it just all or nothing? I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Typically, they're phased out. So, But for these kinds of credit, actually, that's not true. Typically, you get it and then you don't. Okay. So $300,000 married, 150000 single. So if you're making over that mark, you won't qualify for the credit. If it's a used vehicle, the limits come way down. So that's a $4,000 credit. But if you're married and making over $150,000, you won't get it. Hmm. It's a pretty low benchmark. It is. And single is $75,000. So okay. okay. The, the used credit is going to be really tough. So you have to be making less than $150,000 and it had to be manufactured in the U.S., and that's a used vehicle, so they weren't bringing their manufacturing inside the U the U.S. So, so maybe it's just me being naive, but I thought Teslas were all made in the United States. Are they not? I have no idea. That's a question for Ash. We'll put Ash a lot of them are. So the cool thing about Tesla is their manufacturing plants actually don't employ people. It's all done by robots. Okay. Once it's assembled and it goes out of the factory, that's when real people come in where they have to test if it passes all the yeah. regulations and whatnot and, you know, they move it to right. the location where they store all these vehicles. Um, so that's a good question. If robots on. make them, would they qualify? <laughs> I think if robots make them in the U.S., they qualify. Exactly. <laughs> if it's, if it's okay. U.S. robots. <laughs> <laughs> what if the robots? Uh, robots? It's not. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. What else? Well, okay, so the energy credits, like for home, home energy credits, I think is the other one that is going to be most asked about or mm -hmm. probably most utilized for our demographic. And some of these were already in place. I'm not sure if they phased out, but they've been extended for quite a long time for things like energy efficient windows, doors, water heaters, HVACs, those kinds of things. There's kind of sort of three buckets so the, the credit is generally 30% of the purchase price of whatever qualifies. So whether it's a energy-efficient window, solar energy system, right. the credit's 30%, but then there are limits. So it, the smaller items like windows and doors and HVACs, those are, in, those are limited to $1,200. That's kind of your smallest bucket. 
And then you've got a mid-range where things are like bigger appliances, let's say gas pumps, bigger water heater type thing, bigger systems. Okay. There's several things on that list. So again, 30%, but that's got a $2,000 limit. So you could get a $2,000 credit. And then big systems like full solar energy system for your house, things like that, there's no limit. So it's 30% of the cost. That's a pretty nice credit. Yeah, that is. It and could that, be. It, it changes once you get down the road in 2030s. Uh, the, the, are there income limits on any of those? Uh, no, I don't. I have not seen that there are any income limits on those. Okay, great. Yeah. So that 30% credit on a new solar energy system, I mean, that's, that could be big. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty nice. Uh, and then there's some other random things that I didn't list here that are just individual certain credit amounts for certain things. It's kind of. What about uh, the Affordable Care Act premium subsidies? Talking about a credit on a subsidy, so it's complicated. Okay. But the premium tax credit, do, do we even know what the premium tax credit is? Because I didn't know what the name of I it don't. is. I don't. Thank you for saying no. that. That makes me feel so much better. <laughs> okay, so that was the credit. And the reason is it just it doesn't apply very often to our demographic because of income limits. Yeah. But if you aren't offered health insurance through your employer or you're in a certain income range, your health insurance can be subsidized by the government. And that's through the premium tax credit. It's how they paid for Obamacare, essentially. Right. And so I think that was set to phase out maybe this year or very soon, but that's been expanded. So that's been put back into place so that you can still get that credit if you aren't offered insurance or affordable insurance through your employer. You can get insurance through the marketplace and it can be subsidized by the government. Now, generally speaking, you have to be within, what did it say, 100 to 400% of the federal poverty limit to qualify for the, for that credit. And right now that would be, uh, let's just say a family of four would be somewhere between twenty five dollars and $100,000 annual income okay. to be in that limit. But they did remove that upper $400,000 limit for a couple of years, uh, 400% of the federal, that upper limit is eliminated for a couple of years. So you still could get the tax credit if you're making substantial money, if your employer is not offering you insurance and you're buying it through the marketplace. Okay. You're talking about a very small percentage of people because the premiums through the marketplace were not good. They weren't, quote, affordable. And so most people aren't buying it there, especially not most people in our demographic. Okay. Okay. It's there and it's put back in place, but it's not going to apply to us too much. And then when the limits get put put back into place again, you would have to be making like if a single person would have to be making between fifteen and sixty thousand dollars a year to to qualify for the credit. Okay. And most yeah. of our associates no. are not going to yeah. be making that yeah. kind of a, right. amount. There are just a few more ancillary things here that don't really apply to our demographics, but just to cover them before we move into the student loan forgiveness part. What, what are they? 15% corporate minimum tax is the one that I think gets the most media coverage or the most play. And that's, it's going to get passed down to us as the consumer. So that's going to, maybe that'll help inflation. That'll start spending <laughs> a little bit. But yep. That is essentially the what that was designed to do was to, get some tax money from these big corporations on their book income. And by that, 
Because there's a big difference between book income and tax income. And yes. a lot of people don't understand that. If you're not in the industry, you don't understand that. But there are things that you buy that can wipe out book income where you can expense depreciate uh, assets a certain way and things like that. There are lots of different sophisticated things that big companies can do to eliminate their tax income. But they still show a lot of book income, which allows, you know, once makes the investors want to invest in them and makes them look good. And so that book income is now going to be subject to a 15% tax. So it doesn't matter if you can eliminate all your taxable income and not pay any tax according to the regular rules. If you have book income, you're going to pay 15% tax. But that only applies to billion dollars and up corporations. And I'm kind of a, I believe it when I see it. I'm just skeptical because <laughs> they always find a way around it. So mostly uh, publicly held companies. Yes, yeah. big okay. publicly held yeah. companies. Okay. So that's the main one. There's some, some prescription drug discounts. Yeah, they're able to negotiate prescription drug prices and cap some of those for Medi- Medicare recipients, things like that. That's been in the news a little bit. But on tax on stock buybacks, that is way over my head. I have no idea what that is. So. <laughs> Someone way more sophisticated would have to come explain that. Well, I think what they're trying to do is these corporations are spending so many billions of dollars on buying back their own stock. I think Congress is going to start taxing that at some small percent. They're trying to discourage it. They're saying they're avoiding taxes by using that money to buy back the stock. And see, from a a very low-level perspective, I don't see how that changes their tax position at all because that's not a deductible item. Right. that's where I get lost. Yeah. Well, it sounds like another revenue stream for them to fund their expanded IRS enforcement. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. So then let's move on to our big update that I, I'm sure our listeners can't wait for, which is the student loan forgiveness. Yeah. Student loan forgiveness. What do y'all know about the student loan forgiveness? Student loans will be forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> Up to okay. 10, 10 or 20000 per That's the part person. I didn't want yeah, to remember. That's the part you didn't want to remember? <laughs> it's a big amount, but can you imagine for dentists and doctors there, student loan oh, amounts Those that have 400000 in student loans? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's you know still lunch money, right? No. <laughs> 20000 <laughs> Yeah, well, but that's the problem. I mean, I, this was designed, I think... Part of this is opinion. Part of this seems to be true. It was sort of designed for those degrees that cannot readily exit college and go out and make a good enough living to repay those student student loans. Whether that is a sort of low-paying job like a teacher, I, I don't think that should be a low-paying job, but it is a lower-paying mm-hmm. job, or whether it's a uh, a less useful degree, like uh, a basket weaving degree, or something <laughs> like that. Uh, so I think it was it's aimed at at helping some of those people who can't make their payments. Uh, unfortunately, the people that chose degrees that can readily go out and into the marketplace and make a good living and repay their loans are not going to benefit as much from this. And sadly, that's our demographic. Because there is an income limitation on this. Because there is an income limitation on this. And so I I think maybe first couple of years, we may be lucky. First couple of years after college, when Mm -hmm. your income is lower, you might be able to to get this. But it's going to be tough. Even if you're single, you have to be making less than $125,000 per year. So the year you get out of college, you might... If you graduate in December, you're probably going to... Or even if you graduate in the middle of the year. Maybe. You probably wouldn't make 125 in six probably months. Probably not. Yeah. 
And so hopefully you'll be able to qualify some for that then, 250 for a married couple. So if you're making more than that, you're not expected to get any forgiven. And they're going to be basing this. So it's sort of a one-time thing. It's like I was just going to ask, is it a one-time thing or is it a couple of times? It's a one-time thing at the moment. It's a one-time thing. And so they're going to be looking at your 20 and 21 tax returns. So people that were in college at that time, if they already had student loans mounting, um, they may be going to benefit from this of our, you know, of our debt. Okay. So we're talking freshly out of school. If you've been working any time and filed tax returns with over one hundred twenty-five or two hundred fifty thousand dollars, you're not going to qualify. What if they're still in school? What, uh, if, what if they're in dental school? If they file, if they're filing tax returns and they have student loans, now it does say loan must have been dispersed by June thirty of twenty twenty-two. Okay. So still possible. Yeah. Yeah. For, for people that were working in some manner in 20 and 21 and going to school. So you'd have to be doing both or your you spouse, have to have filed a tax return. Ha- I believe you have to have filed a tax return because they're looking at your income threshold. Now, possibly not. If you didn't make enough to file, there may still be a way. Remember back when they were giving the stimulus and if you hadn't filed, you could go in and register. Right. So yeah. May- maybe they'll do something like that. But it's basically going to be automatic. There is an application form that they're setting to go live. But for the most part, it's supposed to be automatic forgiveness. You don't have to do anything mm-hmm. if you qualify. So I guess if you think you qualify and you don't get it, then maybe that's what the application So is. how long would you wait? Because I've had clients asking me about this. And I told them, hey, early October, it's supposed to go live right. on the application. But it should be automatic for up to, I think, $8 million taxpayers yeah. that's right 8 million borrowers will automatically receive student loan forgiveness but let's think back to how fast they rolled out the PPP money that was supposed to be yeah. within how many weeks was that supposed to be <laughs> yeah. uh, 5 days yeah 5, yeah. Yeah. five days <laughs> it yeah it was supposed to be within 5 days yeah. and it took weeks and months at least 3 weeks yeah. and a lot of changes amendments yeah. yeah so i don't know how fast they're really cuz there's no urgency here i mean there's not that was a big urgency yeah. and it took a while and there's no urgency here so yes they they say it will be quick but i don't know that it really will be quick and if i understand this correctly i believe that $20,000 forgiveness is only available to those people that have received the pell grant um the PLUS grant and the GLAD PLUS loans are eligible. If, Basically, they had yes. to be part of FAFSA. The, yes. I it see. has to be a federal student loan. Yes. Not a private it, one. That is correct. Well, I know that everybody's interested in that. That's the big topic on everybody's mind. And when they hear student loan forgiveness, they're thinking, oh, boy, I don't have to make any more payments. Yeah. No, it's $10,000. And it's a small drop in the bucket when you've got a $400,000 student loan. Right. And it's not right. nothing, and I would certainly take it, but I don't know that it's going to really make a significant difference in your payment if it's right. going to affect it at all. Yeah. So. Okay. Anything else for the update? Well, that's all my brain had capacity. Okay. Ash? Yeah. All right. No, that sounds like a great episode, and I think we've reached close to the end of our time here. So thank you so much again, Lynn. I'll see you in six months. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Well, as Robert mentioned, the portal for the student loan forgiveness will or is supposed yeah, allegedly <laughs> supposed is anticipated yeah, to allegedly. open first <laughs> first week of October. Now we're recording here in September. Hopefully by the time this episode publishes, it will be there and you guys can take advantage of that. If you guys have any questions, please feel free to reach us at info at enassociates.com. And as always, have a great one. Thanks. Thanks.
Thanks, Lynn. Sure. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond by Wings on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Or reach out to us on our website. You can also shoot us an email at info at eandassociates.com.